Welcome to the Niche Enrollment Insights Podcast. In this podcast, our goal is to focus less on the promise of best practices, and instead look for the processes and questions that spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. I'm Will Patch, Enrollment Marketing Leader here at Niche. And I'm Angela Brown, the Enrollment Marketing Leader for K-12 at Niche. And today we're going to be talking about um, our quarterly check-in on user trends and data. We're looking at our website benchmarking reports for 2020, which came out in the spring. So we're going to talk about some high-level points for both PK-12 and higher ed, and then we'll get into some housekeeping items that schools can start thinking about as we get into the new year. Should be fun. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It should be fun. So I'm going to kick us off with some high-level points for PK-12. So some observations that we made were that website traffic dropped 17% in 2020, search traffic declined while social and digital marketing traffic increased, which is pretty interesting. Lots of people sitting at their computers, you know, doing lots of searching. So that's not hugely surprising. Yep. Lots of scrolling on your phone too, I'll bet. Lots of scrolling on your phone. I think this was the year of the scroll <laughs> with lots of people <laughs> sitting at home. We also noticed that even though social traffic increased, the quality declined. So referral traffic from sites just like Niche and other school search sites continues to be the most valuable traffic source in PK-12. And that's largely due to the high intent behind those those searches that are happening. Um, Not a lot of differences between public and private schools in that area. But then when you look at paid traffic volume, that was up 72%, but there needs to be some improvement there. So campaigns had some high bounce rates, low page views, low session duration. Those are usually KPIs that we look at for quality of website traffic. Google Ads performed better overall in digital marketing, but this is an area where private schools performed better than public. That's a good thing to be aware of. Yeah. On the higher ed side, some of the things we saw coming out of this, and this is all available, we'll link to it in the show notes. So some of these key higher ed data points that we saw, uh, again, web traffic declined a little bit more than on the PK-12 side. Uh, We had 27% decline in 2020 uh, versus 2019. That's a significant drop. That's a huge drop of students not coming back to your site, whether that's they put their search on hold or it wasn't your internal audiences coming back to your site. There's a lot of things playing into that. This was led by search traffic to your site. So coming from the search engines, dropping 30%. Either students weren't looking uh, or we're seeing just an increase in general of these zero-click searches. Uh, That's something everybody's dealing with right now, uh, especially with Google with their knowledge cards and everything else, essentially stealing traffic that would go back to your site. Among two-year colleges, we saw the public and private outperform for-profits in every metric of user experience, user behavior. When we break down the four years by size, I think predictably, you see the traffic amounts increase with the size of the institution. When we look at just the private versus public, a small private did a better job of attracting new traffic But then interestingly, when we look at the publics, that flips. It was the large publics that did the best job attracting traffic. They did a better job uh, getting new users to the site than the midsize and the small publics. That's an interesting dichotomy there. Where the publics also do a better job of bringing users back to the site. So we saw more sessions per user uh, and then engage them while they're there. So lower bounce rates, higher page views per session, longer session durations. They're sticking around. They're looking at multiple pages, they're spending more time on the site, and they come back again and again. 
That's really what you want to see. You want those return users. If someone's looking at your admissions page, you want them to come back again, check out financial aid, check out the academics. Uh, it's just that good engagement. Uh, and same thing we saw in PK12 that Angela mentioned. Referral traffic is your best. Uh, the social, while you have some decent volumes there, definitely lower quality. You have higher bounce rates. They're not coming back. I know that some people might say, well, that's not the goal of social. Well, if you're engaging users who want to learn more that they can't just learn by scrolling through Twitter or TikTok or wherever, you know, you want them to come back and, and fill out an application, come in for a visit. You want them to do things on your site. Social should be driving back because you want it to convert for you. You know, Angela, you wrote this great blog post recently here uh, about doing some housekeeping on our site before school starts. So what are some quick website housekeeping things that an office should really do before the year ramps up? So on the PK-12 side, I would say definitely keep an eye on your high traffic web pages to make sure that they're up to date, especially with everything that's going on with the pandemic. Parents are really, really craving up to date information and they want those updates in real time. And so even though that may not always be possible, you want to make sure that your content is representing the latest and greatest information that's available for your school. So go into Google Analytics, check for your high traffic pages by volume. Typically, those are pages related to admissions and enrollment, especially this time of year. Your enrollment processes, sports, academics. If you are a school that charges tuition, that's always a big one. You want to make sure that that's current. And then you also want to look at some overall website health. You want to do that pulse check. So look at page views, bounce rates time on page. You want to make sure that your site is nice and sticky, that people are spending time there. Your exit pages will tell you where people are leaving immediately after arriving at your site. And you want to make sure that the places where you want to keep them, you are keeping them. And site speed is a big one. I don't know that this is one that schools pay enough attention to, but if your site takes longer than three seconds to load on any page, you're going to lose people. So that's definitely something that you'll want to keep an eye on. And then any integrations that you have, third-party integrations with your website for things like athletic schedules, your staff directories, sometimes people have curricular information pulled in from a third-party source, your social media feeds. Those are all things that you want to make sure are working, that they're displaying properly. Nobody wants to click on a page and see that something's broken. You know, with the site speed, especially, what are some ways people can check that? I mean, if you're only checking it on your on your high speed line at school, it's going to be pretty quick, right? <laughs> so you can actually check. Um, there's a site speed report in Google Analytics. That's probably the easiest way, especially if you're already using GA, to check on your site speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one that I think people ignore too often because they don't know that you can check it. And if you're only on your site at school, which you know that's realistic, right? You right. don't notice it. <laughs> yeah. The up to date is so important because and you and I both have kids who are in school and I'm watching all the time trying to say, okay, what's the fall plan going to look like as things keep changing? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the schools that can get ahead of that will go mm-hmm. a long way in building and earning that trust with families. Yep. Absolutely. You know, on, on the higher ed side, I'm big on dashboarding so that you can quickly assess issues. Uh, there's some ways that you can actually set up some some automated alerts within Google Analytics as well. A few of the things that I always like to have dashboarded, your 404s. Uh, if you're not familiar, that's 
a page not being able to be found. And there's a few things that cause that, whether it's a bad link going back there, you know, from someone just manually types it in uh, or it's from a referral site. So you can get this report of 404s, take a look at where are they happening and then where is that source traffic coming from? You know, if it's a link on social, ought to address that. If it's an internal link, that's something you can take care of right away and, and solve some headaches for people. Uh, look for the high bounce rate pages. So if you have pages on your site that have a 99% bounce rate, so a bounce rate, someone comes, they take no actions, they leave. That's a bad page. Something's <laughs> going on there. <laughs> Maybe it's a speed issue. Maybe it's the traffic coming back is not finding the information they were promised. Maybe it's there's just lots of problems on the page, formatting issues. It's just not somewhere people want to go or you forgot to put links anywhere else on that page. So it's just a, a dead end page that gets directed to, you know, you want to look for those types of things and fix them. I always like to look at conversion rates by the page and the source. So look for these high conversion metrics. So if you want to track inquiry forms filled out, if you want to track applications, visit forms, you want to look for what is a, what do you call a conversion? And then what pages are producing those conversions? What sources? So are you seeing a lot of conversions from Twitter and not Facebook? Okay, what are you doing differently on those two? Are you seeing it from some referral sites and not others? How do we try and mirror that success or really invest more in the successful one? So I think just having these dashboards and these reports built really makes your life easier. One thing that I used to like to do and I really encourage others to try it. I know it's harder probably at some institutions than others, but building reports for academic pages for faculty so they can understand what's going on. So you might have a regular meeting or semi-regular meeting with a college or with a program and just have this report that they can access at any time to say, here's how people are engaging. You know, we're seeing a 20% conversion rate from your, your finance page, but not the accounting page. You know, how do we, how do we beef up the accounting page to convert just as well? I think that faculty would respond well to that. In my experience, they did, and I know everyone's different, but having these things where they can better understand your work builds trust. And I, I actually want to go back before we move on to two points that you made, because I think they're really helpful for our PK-12 friends. So mm -hmm. one, the importance of having pages on your site take people somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a common mistake, especially in PK-12. I don't know that it's universally known that with the goal of your website to be to keep people <laughs> as long as possible, you, you really want to avoid having dead ends on your web pages. And that's something that's a little bit more of a long-term project, but it is something that I want to call out because it's important for people to think about. If you have a website redesign in the future, or if you want to take a fresh look at your existing website, you want to keep an eye on those dead ends and make sure that every page on your site gives people a place to go that makes sense. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I want to go back to really quickly, because this is also sort of in the analytics ninja category, <laughs> is looking at 404. So what is a way that schools can check that? You can either just go into your Google Analytics. Essentially, you'll look for the page title containing 404. That's something that you just build this report where you're looking for page title equals 404. And that'll tell you, okay, so someone got to this page, found nothing. And then a lot of times we'll just leave the site. Sometimes they'll go back and try to find the information again. I also like to do a very similar thing in Google Data Studio. Uh, Data Studio is just 
an easier way of building dashboards and reports. Uh, you would just link it to your Google Analytics, build out what you would normally do in reports, uh, but then you can add some easier filtering. You can just add links to it so that your head of school or your dean or whomever can access this at any time without having to know how to get to Google Analytics or what it is. Yeah. Uh, you can make it look nice. You can automate PDF exports even. So if you want a weekly PDF sent to your director, because that's something that they want to micromanage, you can do that and you don't have to manually touch it. It just automates some things and makes it a little easier for you. That's awesome. That's a great tip. Yeah. So what are some longer term practices that marketing and admissions professionals should adopt when they want to make sure that their overall digital presence is current and up to date? Yeah. You know, I love processes. I love, <laughs> I, don't, I don't like saying, hey, do this and you'll be <laughs> successful because that's never going to work. So I think just building this culture of continual improvement is key. So it needs to be in your office, in your department DNA, that you're testing everything. Every email you send has an A-B test. You know, every digital campaign has an A-B or a factorial test. You're constantly doing website optimization testing. These are things that they don't take a lot of time, but a lot of times you don't think of if you don't have this culture that, hey, we're going to test every single thing. We want to continually improve our processes. We want to make this site better little by little every day. I think that's why we ha we see these giant website redesigns that take months and it's a headache for everyone. But if you're doing this little testing, this incremental change over time, you're making a tweak to a page a week. You're making a tweak to a directory a week. You're doing a test on file sizing. You know, if you make these little changes all the time as part of your regular work, you wind up saving yourself so much time because I don't know... I mean, Angela, I'm sure you've been part of some website redesigns. Oh, yeah. Yep. And <laughs> would you say that they're short, simple, and, and headache-free? Absolutely not, or inexpensive, <laughs> right? And and I, I think that's such a great point because uh, particularly in PK-12 where resources are so tight, mm -hmm. the idea of doing a comprehensive website redesign is so overwhelming. Yeah. And it actually isn't always needed. I mean, uh, if your website's 10 years old, then sure, you probably want to consider yeah. doing a redesign. If you're going through a giant branding process, you know, that's another factor. But the importance of incremental change is, is a point that I don't want people to lose because it doesn't have to be a massive project. It can be something that happens little by little if you build in the time for that incremental testing. And I would say it's the same with data analysis in general. You know, it doesn't have to be a massive project when you're putting together a huge dashboard or a huge spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking at things on a regular basis and you carve out time at regular intervals to do that analysis, it becomes much more manageable, even if you have a small shop. Yeah. A lot of times you'll say, oh, I, I'm a one-person office. I don't have time. Well, if you carve out 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour a week, you know, then you, then you suddenly do have time. It saves you time in the long run to invest some time up front. And, and I know that's hard to do. You know, I don't, I don't want anyone to, to hear that and say, oh, well, he makes it sound, well, it's not simple. It <laughs> takes practice. It's like any habit. It just takes time to really do. And I think part of that too is putting something on your calendar so that you're making sure that pages or directories are touched every couple months. People want the up-to-date real-time info, but you also, you know, you don't want, I was recently 
just doing a little a little research and found a net price calculator that hadn't been updated in six years. Ooh. That's that's an issue for a couple of reasons. <laughs> but but that's something that if a student goes there and it's talking about the twenty fifteen school year, right? Well, okay, you're not providing them any valuable information at that point. Yeah. Uh, so just put it on your calendar as a recurring event. Every three months I'm gonna check the academics and then next week maybe I'm just gonna get eyes on all of the uh, all the financial aid pages, all the admissions pages. I know in higher ed, it's not uncommon to have 5,000, 10,000 page sites. So having a team of people who can just even look at it little by little will really help not have this scramble during the summer to update everything. Yeah. And I, I think on the smaller scale, having people who own different pieces of the site, even mm -hmm. just from a content review standpoint, if you have an admissions team, having a weekly you know, reminder for the admissions team to check anything that's date driven mm -hmm. and to make sure that if a new event pops onto the calendar, it gets to the marketing communications office in a timely manner so that it can go on the website. You know, So building in the time and having a little bit of structure around those things can really go a long way to make sure that your content's up to date. Yeah, yeah, I like that idea of distributing it. That's good professional development too. Absolutely, and it'll help you collaborate better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What what are some things the the PK through twelve team can do long term? So on, on the PK twelve side, I think that it's common, and this is mentioned in the blog post, to forget about things offsite that mm -hmm. also yeah. need to be updated. So even though the website's sort of the front door for prospective families um, and for current families to a, a certain extent, especially for the public schools. You also want to pay attention to sites like your Google business page. That one gets neglected pretty often. Yep. And if you just go to google.com slash business, you can claim your page if you haven't already, make some updates there. It's front and center when people are searching for you by name. So that's something you definitely want to make sure you're keeping up to date. And then, you know, school search sites, those are really, really big and increasing in popularity, I think, mm -hmm. especially among younger families who are looking for schools in the same way that they look for dry cleaners and you yeah. know other services <laughs> it's it's a very similar mindset they're used to shopping for things in search they're used to looking at reviews and evaluating things that way with those third party endorsements so don't neglect your offsite platforms those are really really important and sometimes they come up in search even before your school's website does so I would put those at the same level in terms of priority for things to update. If someone's this team of one, what would you say is the number one got to do it today to make that long-term investment? Oh boy. Well, it's, <laughs> it helps to start by knowing where you are. <laughs> no. So especially if you're someone who, like I was years ago, is new to a marketing communications position in a school, start by gathering information and dropping it into you know, a Google Doc or a Word Doc, just having the list of where you are so you have a sense of the scale and then prioritizing based on category. And I, at the very top, I would say school search sites can check your website referral data to see which ones you need to focus on first mm -hmm. because that will tell you which school search sites people are actively using to get to your website. And then the Google business page, just because it, it, it has such first page impact, 
Yeah. In search, I would definitely pay attention to that and make sure that at a minimum, your logo's up to date. You have some nice campus photos so people can see the space, your contact information is current, your operating hours. And you also want to know, you know what people are saying. All of these are sites that have reviews, inclu including Google Business. And so if there's some negative chatter happening out there, that's something that you want to be aware of. Yeah. I feel like the the negativity is too easily dismissed too of well that can't be true. Right. Well, I mean if you if you see the same thing come up several times across several sites, you know maybe there is something you need to look into. Absolutely. When should you consider getting outside support for managing and measuring your digital presence? So I think if you're in a position, there are a few a few factors with time, budget and internal capacity <laughs> being the mm -hmm. biggest ones. And digital marketing in particular is a beast. You know, it's it's yeah. a lot of work if you want to do it well, to manage the platforms, identify which ones you should be focusing on, to do that continuous measurement and improvement. And so if you are so far in firefighting mode, very consistently, which happens a lot, especially with teams mm -hmm. of one um, or half a person <laughs> or less in some cases, then yeah, you'll definitely want to consider getting some outside support, even if it's just temporarily while you scale up your team internally. If you have a decent sized team and you're looking to grow, that's another opportunity to think about, you know, maybe you might need to have some outside help. Maybe that's a more cost effective option than hiring another full-time employee. And that's, that's some analysis that you'll want to do. It requires a little bit of homework to compare, you know, the salary for an FTE with what it might cost over the course of a year to hire an agency or a consultant to support you with digital marketing. And it's in some cases, depending on the project and, and the goals, it's helpful to have a third party to come in and objectively look at the goals that you've set out, your campaigns, your strategies. I think sometimes we can get really bogged down in the day-to-day -day and the internal conversations about what we should be focused on. And so, you know, ha being able to kind of pop your head up every now and then at 30,000 feet instead of being in the weeds, you know, you can sometimes need some outside support for that. And that's another area where I would just encourage people to do their own research and ask lots of questions as they're interviewing people for this work to make sure that you're working with someone who actually wants to partner with you and invest in supporting you and your institutional goals mm -hmm. and not necessarily take advantage of the fact that, you know, you don't know what you don't know. I tend to think of it as a vendor versus a partner. The, the we're going to implement versus we are going to help ask questions, learn more about you. Are there times that you see more of that? I just need someone to implement. I don't need the additional insights. I don't need the additional data versus the sort of the full suite. Yeah. I, and I think it can be challenging with people in marketing and admissions offices to you, sometimes you just want to get to the result, you know, <laughs> but yep. it's important to slow down and really look for ways to partner with the outside vendors that you hire. And I, I would also ask people to look for someone that approaches it from a teaching standpoint and not just an in instructional and prescriptive perspective. You want someone that kind of has that teaching lens because if you're not learning anything, you won't get to a place where you can bring things in-house. 
And so having someone who's really willing to come alongside you and not just tell you what to do, or in worst case, tell you what they did out of context, but actually say, okay, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. And here are the results. Hmm. Because that helps you to understand not just the what, but the why. And that's something that's really important for your own professional development. That's good. I, I'm always a fan of trying to keep things in house when you can. But yeah, there's times where capacity is an issue. You don't have the people to dedicate to a project or experience is an issue. If you want to to do all your digital marketing yourself and you don't have anyone who has any experience doing that, right? <laughs> not a good thing to try and just wing. It does not <laughs> work. That does not work. I like how you mentioned the teaching aspect. Someone who can come in and actually teach you how to do it. And so they're they're helping you bring it in-house or at least decide, is this something that we can do in-house or is it something that, you know, having five people who do this in agency, that that's more cost effective for us. Right. Yeah. I think to a degree, budget can be an issue. So if you can only spend 10000 you can't hire another person to do this for you. Right. Right. So that's where, you know, trying to find someone who doesn't have high management fees and things like that to run it for you makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So what are some KPIs that offices should be tracking uh, to help kind of benchmark and, and make sure that their websites and email campaigns are ready to go for the year? So we have some great ones in our benchmarking report that's available on, on the blog. But I would say, you know, if you're not tracking goal conversions in Google Analytics, start. Yeah. <laughs> that is something that in PK-12, I, I think is really uncommon. And I, I, I want to fully acknowledge that Google Analytics is not always super intuitive. And so to go back to our earlier conversation, that may be a place to start where you might just need someone to hold your hand through that mm-hmm. and help you to understand how to navigate it, which you know areas of Google Analytics you should be looking at, um, depending on which version of Google Analytics you're even on. I think most schools are probably using Universal Analytics, but there's mm-hmm. also Google Analytics 4, which has a very different interface and and presents information very differently. But if you can track goal conversions in Google Analytics, that can help you look at a little bit more of the path that people are actually taking when they're interacting with their site. So it's not just where they're coming from and the fact that they're coming, but what they're actually doing. And then some of the things that we mentioned earlier that look at overall website health. So things like your bounce rate, your referral traffic, I can't emphasize that enough. Exit rate, time on page, time on site, new versus returning visitors. Mm-hmm. Those are all things that I would say are very, very important. And, and looking at, at those, those data points year over year so you can benchmark against yourself in addition to benchmarking more industry-wide. On the, the email data side, I would say looking at data for both one-off emails like event invitations and and things like that and workflows if you're using those. So emails that are sent in a specific sequence that are triggered by, you know, a specific interest or age group, you know, that's something that folks who are doing a little bit more sophisticated email marketing are doing on the PK-12 side. But if you have those workflows in place, I think it can be easy to kind of set it and forget it and not really 
think about them once you've set them up at the beginning of the year. But you should be looking at your open rates, your click to open rate and traffic to your website, you know, because email should be generating traffic to your website as well. Mm-hmm. And, and click through on calls to action that you have in your email campaigns. I'd also take a look at your, your audience information. So make sure you're paying attention to unsubscribes, bounces, looking at overall email health. If you send something out and you get a ton of unsubscribes, that's probably a flag. You also want to think about the fact that sometimes people are, they don't take the action to unsubscribe. They just don't look at the email. <laughs> so you want to be aware of, of, of that as you're looking at email engagement mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And while we're on emails, you know, there's, there's going to be some disruption to email oh. metrics coming up. Do you, want, yes. do you want to talk about that a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we actually have another blog post uh, about that, that I would encourage people to take a look at. Um, but what's going to happen is that sometime in this fall, uh, between September and November, Apple is going to be rolling out its iOS 15 update. And Similar to the disruption that we all sort of chatted about with iOS 14 in terms of digital advertising, with iOS 15, people will have the ability to opt into having open rate data blocked if they use Apple Mail to check and engage with email. So there won't be an impact on people who, for example, use Gmail and check and send emails through the Gmail app. But if you're a Gmail user, an Outlook user, you know, go on down the long tail of email clients and you use Apple Mail to engage with email, then Apple Mail is Apple's native iOS app for email, then you will get a prompt that allows you to, from a privacy standpoint, block businesses' ability to check your your open information. And so what this is going to do is make it really challenging to rely mm-hmm. on open rate data, which has been one of the cornerstones of email campaign management and evaluation in the past, because it will artificially inflate open rates for people who have a high number of subscribers that are using the Apple Mail app. And it will have an impact on on some other things, including um, things like workflows and other email tactics that are driven by open rates. And so what I would suggest there as a first step to get ready for this is to check your subscriber email client data so you have a sense of just how much of an impact this change is going to have. I, I believe a study that came out from Litmus in 2020 said that 46% of email opens came from the Apple Mail app. So in all likelihood, there will be an impact of some kind. Some email campaign management systems allow you uh, natively to check this information. So MailChimp is one that we name check in the blog post. HubSpot is another. Um, But there are quite a few that don't. And if you are one of many people that do not have an email campaign management system or CRM that allows you um, to check that information, I would try doing just a simple survey of your subscribers to find out which email clients they're using to at least give you a high level pulse check on how much of a concern this is going to be for your school and how much of an impact it's going to have on your data. You know, I think on on the website, continually optimizing. So just having a KPI for yourself of I'm going to make sure that I touch every page monthly, bi-monthly, quarterly, 
that we're going to run X number of experiments. I think that's going to be key, being able to hold yourself accountable to build this culture. So it's not just this once a year project of scrambling to update everything and checking all 20,000 pages. (laughs) That's a nightmare. I think tracking your goal conversions, and this will get into the emails as well. If you have goal conversions set up on your site, then you know, you'll still get that information even if you can't see how many people are opening and clicking through on your emails. You'll still be able to see how many people are back to your page doing the high value things that you want them to do anyway. Keeping an eye on bounce rates again. Make sure that you're not driving people away, that you have a site that works well. Uh, and then your SEO metrics. So what search terms are coming in? How's your search traffic coming in? You know, what is your what is your placement and results pages? Keeping an eye on all that uh, will really help make sure that your website is healthy and it's attracting the people you want it to attract and that they're able to find what they want once they're there. Uh, there's some cool tools if you if you have the budget and you have the time uh, for heat mapping uh, where you can actually see how are there's user recordings and there's heat mapping. But on the heat mapping side, you'll see where are people gravitating on the page? You know, are they lingering around certain elements that you don't intend them to? So something that's not clickable and you realize a lot of people are going and clicking there. Okay, well, that's maybe that's a, that's a design issue there. <laughs> With the user recordings too, the nice thing, they're all anonymized, but you can see if people get into this rage click loop where they click something, nothing happens or it happens too slow and they just keep clicking and clicking and clicking. <laughs> Don't do that to people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's helpful to give some context to what's happening because you can look at the report and see, oh, there are 25 clicks to this thing. Well, if it's mostly people who get in a loop, that's right. not that's not useful. Uh, you need to fix that. That's not a pat yourself on the back that you had 25 people click it. That's a, uh-oh, <laughs> 25 people clicked it. On the email side, really getting granular, looking at conversions by the student type or student stage. So you might see that, oh, juniors are behaving this way with our emails uh, versus seniors. Maybe it's by academic program. Maybe it's geographically. You know, look for any trends you can find there. Uh, or by stage. So you might see, okay, we're doing great with our inquiries, but we're really, really struggling once they've applied. All right, we really have to fix our application nurture flows because that's just something's not working. For now, open rate and click to open rate are valuable. We'll see what happens. Keeping an eye on your bounce rates, keeping those as low as possible, and then pages per session and these other lead measures. Knowing that if we're seeing a lot of people come back to the page, and they're not converting, okay, back up down the funnel and see what's happening. Is it because of high bounce? Are they not getting to these pages at all that we want them to get to? Are those pages taking too long? You know, ask yourself, why is that? Keep going back. Okay, we're, we're seeing low conversion rates for our application. Why is that? Well, we're seeing high load times. Well, why is that? Well, we've got images that are way too big and taking forever to load on a phone. All right, that's something we can fix. So keep kind of backing up and figure out why add that context you know you want the qualitative to go along with all this quantitative metrics well this was a great conversation we'll link to a ton of resources in the show notes you can find all those at niche.bz slash podcast if you want to get there directly you'll be hearing a lot more from angela as well Uh, we're going to be sharing duties of of hosting the podcast now so really looking forward to that it's going to be great yeah thanks will have a great one everybody stay safe 